You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. So, enough of that. With that, I want to have my friend Justin come on up, and we're going to read Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. And uh, Justin happens to be in our community group. He is a real estate agent here in this county, and he does a great job serving Jesus in that way. So, all right. And yes, this is a pop socket on my phone, <laughs> like a junior hire. This is Mark eleven fifteen through 19. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Amen. This is God's word. Thank you so much, Justin. Let's pray. Father, I just ask this morning that as we take a a long, hard look at Jesus' rage, frankly, that we, as easy and tempting as it's going to be to point our fingers at religious leaders and go, yeah, go get him, Jesus. And in their hypocrisy, to also take a look at ourselves. Help me to take a look at myself. And we ask that your spirit would just continue to breathe and speak in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I think that's the thing I kind of want to start with, is just to admit for my own self how easy it can be. It can be so easy. So, so easy. All I have to do is just tell myself, God has so blessed me, which is true. That's a fact. God has so blessed me. And then use that fact to then become an online member who can, I can happily, all I got to do as an online member is I can just point and click and know that within 24 hours, I'll have a big stack of cardboard happiness sitting on my on my front stoop that I can go look at all the wonderful ways that God has blessed me with these boxes of joy and I don't even have to have cash on hand to pay for it because I can use my God-given credit limit to just stack up purchasing more stuff it for just I'm just admitting this for myself it could be very easy it could be so easy because all I have to do is give to God um a gift, you know, some amount that I've concluded, well, that amount is enough. And then with a relieved conscience, I can go out and use all the rest of it to continue to construct for myself this padded existence of comfort because I've relieved my conscience. I've given God enough. All I, It can be so easy because all I have to do is receive the great generational wealth that had been saved up by my God-fearing, which was true, parents, and my God-fearing grandparents before my parents, and my God-fearing grandparents before my parents and grandparents, and all this generational wealth that was saved up by God's people, and then I can receive it and then 
pad my already comfortable existence with even more comfort. I'm just telling you Andy Lewis's story. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm just pointing at me. All I have to do is leverage all of the power and the privileges the culture of my birth affords me as a man who is white and has generational wealth. And because of that, I can pretty much have my say and get my way as a consumer, as a citizen. And I'll tell you the honest truth, even as a pastor, it could be so easy for me to build a life that fits my specifications for comfort and do all of it, assuming, well, God's blessing means God's approving. And sometimes even using God's name to better achieve my specifications for my personal comfort. What I'm admitting to you is something that I think that is true for all of us, is there is something in each of us that has this even deeper level of lostness that pretty much doesn't want God involved in in the terms of our lives unless God can be used to get better terms for our lives. And then we're interested in getting God involved. Here's when we do this. We do this when we take the blessings of God, which in all of our lives here in this room are many. They're vast. We take the blessings of God and then we turn them into now a personal license. A license for achieving our preferred terms and conditions for our life and for the world around us. God's blessing is my license. We do this when we assume the powers, the privileges, the assets that we've been given in our cultural setting, they're, that they're, those are God-given birthrights to increase our comforts, to increase our preference. We do this when we use our God-given nation, our God-given economy, our God-given status, or any other assumed in our heads God-given anything as this lever that we can pull to get better outcomes for our comfortable life project. Of course, you and I, we, we don't feel like you're going, okay, Andy, come on, man. This is Lent, but go easy on us. Right? Of course, you and I, we don't look at ourselves. I don't look at myself and go, I'm, I'm, I am greedy. We don't look at ourselves as greedy. That feels like way too strong of a word. I would like to tell myself there is 0.000% part of me that is that ugly televangelist. Remember this guy who was in the news a couple years ago? Who without flinching... He asked his followers to help pay for and fund his personal $54 million Learjet. And the reason why he wanted them to help fund it is, and I'm quoting the guy, he said, today, Jesus the Redeemer would probably pass on riding on the back of a donkey. He'd be on an airplane preaching the gospel all over the world, unquote. And he did, by the way, all of this actually believing God approved of his greed and that God could be the one who he activated to satisfy it. So, right, I look at that guy, you look at that guy, we go, there's zero of that guy in us. And yet, when you and I look deeper, there's a part of us that is capable of using God to get what we want for a more comfortable life. I'll admit it. So today we're continuing this study, the heartbreak of Jesus. 
It's the season of Lent. I was just in the back praying with our prayer team, Ruth and Kathy. And I was just like, kind of took a deep sigh because like, oh man, Lenten conversations are just like, these are not easy. Because the season of Lent is a time for the church to enter into a time of, of slowing down and being introspective about what is our state, really, honestly, before God, to be vulnerable in that state. And what we are trying to do is we are studying these moments where Jesus' heart just breaks as he approached the cross. And in these moments, I think when we look at, take a good hard look at these moments where Jesus' heart just breaks open, we go, whoa, this is telling us something about our condition. This is telling us something about what it cost Jesus to save me, to save me. And what we've learned is, here's in the first two weeks of this study, first of all, we saw Jesus with the sisters, Martha and Mary, their grief over the death of their brother Lazarus. And we saw Jesus be shattered over the reality of mortality. Something, a topic that usually even in Lent we want to put away. Let's not talk about death, okay? Because somebody might die even if you bring it up. And, and Jesus is just raging and shattered over mortality. And it's something for us to take into account that the hatred he has for death, this was not God's plan. And then, not last week, but two weeks ago, we saw Jesus' heartbreak when he wept over the city of Jerusalem as he just was looking at all of Israel, what their project was, as they were trying to kind of leverage God and try to be partners with God, and how he just, his heart broke open when we try to leverage God rather than trust him. And today, Jesus is going to condemn using God to satisfy lust for life on our terms. So let's dive in to the passage that Justin so graciously read for us, Mark 11. So we read this in the context is it's just after a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, just after what I preached on two weeks ago, where Jesus stops and in the middle of an adoring crowd saying, Hosanna, he starts weeping and wailing out loud and weeps over the city of Jerusalem. Just after that, Jesus now walks into the temple area. And here's what Mark tells us, just this one verse, Mark eleven fifteen. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changer and the benches of those selling doves. Take a hard gaze at Jesus here. Jesus got angry. And for all of us who have like this church culture theology, it's like anger is always bad. I'm going to let you twizzle with that this afternoon and go, what do I do with that? Jesus actually got angry. I'm not going to preach on it. I'm just going to let you think about it. But he got angry and physical. He physically drove out these people who were buying and selling. In fact, if you go over to the Gospel of John, John tells us that Jesus was driving them out with a whip that he had made out of rope. I'll let you twizzle with that this afternoon. But what Jesus does is this like performance artist-ish Old Testament prophet act of hurting people out of this temple area. And he is throwing over tables and he's throwing over benches of money changers and merchants. And if you take a long look, you should be a little like, what, do I, uh, what is happening to our Jesus meek and mild here? 
Right, right? He's always meek and he's mild. And, you know, I mean, sometimes when I look at some of the series on Jesus, Jesus looks like he's on Thorazine. He's all doped up. He's like gazing out into the heavens. So what is happening here to Jesus? Just look at him. He gets, he gets angry and he gets physical. What's happening? Now I want to try to answer that by looking at three questions. One, what is happening? Two, where is it happening? And three, why? So let's look at the first question. What is happening? Well, we read in the passage that it's the Passover week in Jerusalem. That means that what's happening is all these Jews who could travel, they were making a pilgrimage. And a pilgrimage means you've traveled a great distance, and they make a pilgrimage into Jerusalem to make sacrifices, to give their offerings to the priests, to pay the temple tax, which we'll get into in a second, and then celebrate the Feast of Pesach, which is Hebrew for Passover, with their families. So that's the whole backdrop of what's happening. Jerusalem is just humming with people, travelers coming and going. For the convenience of these travelers, who would have been, they would have been normally having to like raise an animal, and make sure that animal fit the specifications of the Levitical law of a pure animal for sacrifice, meaning it was kosher. Instead of that, for the convenience of the travelers, the Mount of Olives had created an outer temple precinct. And here's a slide for it. It is that hill that goes outside of that temple area. It's kind of up that hill area. That was became this outside temple precinct area that was approved for many, many years up before the time of Christ for approved markets where pilgrims who had traveled great distances could go and go, I can in this market buy kosher approved animals for sacrifice in the temple. And in these markets, in addition, pilgrims could also buy other ritually pure objects, Jerusalem t-shirts. No, I'm just kidding on that. Uh, But you get the idea of what this market was. And they could convert at a cost... Roman currency, which is what everybody in the Roman Empire had to use to buy and sell and survive. But for the temple, you had to convert Roman currency into Tyrian currency to pay the temple tax at a little bit of a profit for the person who's making the exchange rate. Because the temple needed to be able to be supported and upheld, and so you paid your temple tax. So that was normal right up until the time of Christ. This is where this gets really interesting. These markets were in these outer districts up in the hill countries of the Mount of Olives for for many, many years until right about 30, formerly known as A.D., now in history is called Common Era, 30 of the Common Era, when a historian named V. Epstein argues from the rabbinical writings of the time that moving the markets into the temple area was a new innovation of the high priest Caiaphas. Brand new business innovation. Why this innovation by the high priest Caiaphas and the religious leaders? Simple. Profits. Not only profits, but punitive competition with the outer olive, uh, Mount of Olives markets to increase the high priests and the religious leaders and the temple's profit. Increase the profit margin. This is a brand new innovation. So that sets up. That's what's happening. The second question is, well, then where is this happening? Well, Jesus was throwing down in a place that's called the court of the Gentiles. The temple 
had various sections. Some of you who grew up in Sunday school know a little bit about it. This, or you have a, you know, a study Bible that has maps and stuff in it. You can kind of look at it. It, it, there was these different sections that had different limitations of access. And those, that access got more limited the more and more you got to the center place of the temple, which was the Holy of Holies, that you only entered if you were the high priest and once a year on the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But the most accessible place, and I'll put up the slide here, the most accessible place with this biggest part of what you see in this diagram is that biggest courtyard called the Court of the Gentiles. Now, the Old Testament tells us, and Jesus actually quotes it when he quotes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, that the Court of the Gentiles was to be a place of prayer. Look at that. It's the biggest section of the entire temple complex. All the nations could come in and to pray. What, what that means is that in that specific area, that was intended by God to be a place where anyone, women and children, Gentiles from any nation could enjoy the privilege of being curious about the God of Israel. Uh, to be like, I'm curious about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To come in and to maybe pray to this God out of that curiosity. To maybe worship this God. And it's in these courts that many people became, here's a big term, proselytes. Meaning they became followers of Yahweh, the God of Israel. So a noisy, smelly, animal and tchotchke high prophet market was not God's intention. So that leads us to the third question. Why is this, and by this I mean Jesus' outburst happening? Why is this happening? Well, Mark, interestingly, he tells us why it's happening in verse, verse number 17. In verse 17, he just says this little phrase. It's after we read all the stuff he's throwing over at the tables and he's casting people out and he's herding people out of the room. He says this, as he taught them, he said, and then he quotes Isaiah. Underline that word taught in your mind. Because Mark is saying that the visible anger that led Jesus to physically herd merchants out of the court of the Gentile, that was his teaching. He's, I want to do some performance artist teaching like that in some places. He was teaching. He was challenging the so-called authority of a corrupt temple system and its leaders who are reaping huge gouging, huge profits off the backs of sincere pilgrims and worshipers of Yahweh God. He was protecting the God-given privileges that God had always had in mind, the privileges of the nations, every nation on the planet, to come to seek and to know Israel's God, the God above all gods. That was God's claim, right? In the Old Testament, I'm the God above all gods. He was protecting their privilege. And he was putting a spotlight on the naked greed, defiling God's name among the nations, making a mockery of this God. Jesus brings judgment against a corrupt temple system, and he angrily grieves over the use of God to expand naked greed for profit, power, privilege that was hindering people's access to God. So where does this hit home for us? Here's what I'm, I'm seeing in it. Jesus rages over how we use God to satisfy our greed 
and then we defile God's name. There is this grief that Jesus has when we somehow try to hide behind God to get away with a lot of our greed and then end up in this place we never intended, but we're making a mockery of God's name. Now, believe me, I, I know how easy it would be to look at this pastors and to cheer on Jesus. I'm, I'm right there with you to cheer on Jesus. And go, yes, I hate hypocrites. You go get them. I'll help you make another whip. Here's one for your left hand, Jesus. Let's go get those guys and drive them out of there. I get how easy it would be for like, yeah, you go get Caiaphas. You go get that $54 million jet plane idiot televangelist. You go get them. And to end up in this place where we were pointing some fingers at a them out there and not look at us, me. Like, we, let's be honest with ourselves about how our own greed manifests itself in different forms. Like how greed can manifest itself in the form of power. That hidden part of us that wants say and wants sway. And we will even use God's name to leverage it if we have to. Or if we can. Or greed in the form of privilege, which is that hidden part of us that likes the privileges we've been given. Who wouldn't? Who likes the privileges we've been given? And we might even use God to redefine a privilege as a, it's my right. Greed in the form of status. The hidden part of us that seeks to protect and then build on and build out our status. And we might even convince ourselves that hey, we have done enough for God that he should protect and maybe even that that earns us some more status. Because look at what I've done for God. Greed in the form of lust. The hidden part of us that feels like our God-given gift of sexuality, which is, it's a gift, it is okay to satisfy it in the most convenient way possible because, well, we tell ourselves, well, it's a natural God-given drive and desire. So, you know, greed in the form of money, the hidden part of us that genuinely feels like either God wants us to have or God thinks we deserve to have more money, more money, more money for more consumption. So let's be honest. And then let's grieve with Jesus how all of this can smear the name of God. First of all, it smears the name of God within our own hearts. Because where it is that we still might be lost in some form of greed, you know what's actually happening in our hearts? We are smearing the name of God within our own hearts because we're still living as if God does not love us enough to provide what we need. To provide not just what we need, provide beyond that, to provide what we want, which is crazy how he does that, and provide not just what we need, what we want, but sometimes he just lavishes us with stuff that we really don't need. We don't even necessarily want it, but it's just crazy goodness of God. Sometimes we're defaming God within our own hearts where that greed is still part of us, where we're like, I'm still not living as if God loves me and will take care of me and not just take care of me, he will lavish me. And second, let's grieve because it smears God's name to the watching nations, to family members, to neighbors and co-workers. They are very put off by the little G God 
we are hiding behind in our power, privilege, status, lust, money, greedy pursuit of life on our terms. And you better believe they can see our hypocrisy and more easily and more quickly than we as believers see it. They see it. Now, here's what this means for us. When we were laying plans to plant Faith Community Church over just about 17 years ago, at the time, we sent out a core of people into Santa Cruz to ask all kinds of questions of Santa Cruzans. I remember, I think at the time, some of you might remember this. Jonathan and Heather, you might remember this. There were a few of us who are still here who are part of launching. We sent out, I think, 25, 30. Toby, Julie might have been a part of it too. To go have conversations with people out in the community and just ask them questions. Ask them questions about what do they think about faith? What do they think about spirituality? What do they think about Jesus? What do they think about the church? Just open conversations. No, we're not going to take offense at what you say. We just want to hear what you're going to say. And in one of my conversations with one of the people in my conversations, this is what they told me. Pretty, pretty close approximation. I can't tell you it's an exact quote. Pretty, pretty darn close. They said this. The way you and your church spend your money tells me something about your God. Do you actually care about the things your Bible tells you that your God cares about? Like sick and widows and orphans? Or do you care about bigger, more impressive buildings and parking lots that you only use once or twice a week? Unquote. <laughs> and that conversation so rattled me, it has informed how carefully I and we as the elders, servant leaders of this church look at everything this church does with every kind of asset that God has given us. And even how we think about using the spaces that God's entrusted to us. You want to know how we ended up with, why are we not calling this a church building anymore? We're calling it the Midtown Community Center that we hope can be used by all of the people in the Midtown communities because of that conversation, which informed, what are we doing? But I also got to get personal. That comment also sobered me in my own personal life about what I'm telling myself and a watching world about who God really is through how I receive and steward the power, the privilege, the status, the sexuality, and the money that God has gifted to me for his glory. We look at Jesus and we see, ooh, he's pretty angry over how we can try to use God to satisfy our greed and explain it away like it's a blessing and then end up making a mockery of God. And I think the, the appeal for us is this is to repent of my greed and receive God's gifts. I know, I'm going to use an old Baptist word, repent. Like, that doesn't grow churches, Andy. I know, but that's okay. Repent. Repent of my greed and receive God's gift. Let me try to explain what I mean by that simple statement. In his book, a book called Hustling God, which is a good book, I would recommend getting it. It's on the life of the great hustler of the Old Testament, Jacob, Jacob. Because that's all he did his whole life. He was constantly trying to hustle God and hustle a blessing his entire life. And so in the book, a pastor, M. Craig Barnes, here's what he writes about Jacob, and we'll put it up on the screen. He says this, Jacob's life demonstrates you cannot buy a blessing earn a blessing, or make one happen. All you can do is receive one. 
And he goes on to write, he says, Jesus will keep inviting us to leave the places we would prefer to stay and let go of the things we would prefer to keep because it's the only way we can receive more of the kingdom where he alone is the Lord. So Jesus angrily throws over the religious leaders and even your and my greedy, hustling attempts to try to buy, earn, or make a blessing happen for ourselves. He's going to come into your life and go, I am throwing over that table. And then what he's going to do, he's going to invite us to turn back to his invitation to leave the places of our greed constructions that we prefer and leave the things in the pursuit of our greed constructions that we prefer to receive an actual blessing from him as he's giving it to us in his way and in his time. So repent, which is to turn back. Turn back now from any place, thing, or pursuit of power, privilege, status, lust, money, Because the Holy Spirit, I believe, is alive and well in this place. The Holy Spirit speaking to you. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna name names. But where is the Holy Spirit prompting you, whispering to you right now that that is a road to nowhere? And I'm thrown over that table. And then, when you repent, you turn back, receive the blessing of the life that Jesus is trying to give you as Lord. Yes, as Lord, Jesus just might ask you to leave the place you prefer. Because he wants to bring you to a place that will give you the blessing of an actual indestructible life. A life that can stand up to anything. That might mean leaving a place that you prefer. Yes, Jesus just might ask you to let go of the things your greed would prefer to keep. Because he wants to give you every good and perfect gift. From above, that adds up to an actual abundant life. I'm going to invite the band to come on up and they can get all plugged in as they're going to lead us in more music. But as they do, um, after this throwdown, this very angry throwdown in the temple against the greed of the temple authorities and the religious leaders, we know Jesus took the cross. Jesus was buried after he died and then he rose again and he ascended back into heaven and then 40 days later on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit fell upon every disciple and something very different happened in their hearts and in their lives something very different than what we saw the greed of the religious leaders in the temple courts instead of living in fear of scarcity like the religious leaders were you know, if we don't take matters in our own hand and gouge prophets and get this thing going, we're not going to be able to drop kick the Romans out of here. Live it in fear of scarcity. Instead of living in that fear of scarcity and trying to hustle life and blessing from God, this new group of people that the Holy Spirit descended upon, they became a people who were saturated with the grace of God and the knowledge that God would give them life. God would provide for their lives. That God had their backs. And you know what started to happen because that was true? Acts chapter 2, the very end of Acts chapter 2. I'll read it for you. It says in verse 44, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give it to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Instead of God's name getting smeared, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the picture of what I know God wants for at least our community. And I know every community here in Santa Cruz County that calls on Jesus and has a pure and simple devotion to Jesus. We also can live in a new and a profound state of security in God's grace and a provision of life as he's going to give it to us rather than this constant fear of scarcity. The the fear that you carry of scarcity is a lie from the pit of hell. You are not living in scarcity. You can be free of that, knowing God's grace is bigger than that. And then out of that deep security... We can, just like the early church, we can live with the desire for generosity rather than a life of greed. Remember, look at Jesus this week and see how he's just angry over how sometimes we can use God to leverage our greed and then end up, we didn't even know, we weren't even trying, but we make a mockery of God's name. So please, let's be people who turn around from our greed constructions and just open our hearts to receive a real and abundant life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you've come to set us free from everything that takes us down, wounds us, defiles us, defiles your name, that you want to give us real freedom. And God, I ask for myself and I ask for all of us here. We are so blessed in this culture. We are so blessed in America. We are so blessed in this economy. And we, we want to make sure we stop and say thank you. We, we, just, we, we won the, 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 the lucky uh, roulette of life being born into this, this place. And yet, there are shadows of being in something like this. Where it becomes so easy. We go, well, God's blessed me. Why not? God, help us to live for your kingdom, even though we're still a part of this one. Because yours is the one that's going to live, go on forever. Yours is the one that's making all things new. Help us to live in that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.